Welcome to Have You Seen This, the world's only podcast about obscure, overlooked, and misbegotten visual media. All discussions will be spoiler heavy. You have been warned. Have you seen this? It's Jen. And Tim. And tonight we are broadcasting live from Bryce Dallas Howard's ass. <laughs> There's plenty of room. Come one, come all. Please come inside <laughs> Bryce Dallas Howard's ass. <laughs> Hundreds of likes and counting. Wow. I think we've, we may have found our angle. Yeah, no. Um, for those who don't know yet, we recently started an Instagram account uh, which is the same as our Twitter handle, HYSTPod. Uh, HYSTPod. It's, it's mostly, it's mostly shitposting. Yeah, um, cinema-related shitposting. Um, but it's the kind of thing which delights us and, by extension, also appears to delight our audience. But our biggest post so far has been the picture I posted that shows uh, that Bryce Dallas Howard, daughter of Ron Howard, has a dump truck ass. Right, yeah, she's a re- real Pixar mom. She is thick. Yep, and good for her. Yes, for exactly. Um, and I tagged it uh, with the red hair hashtag, which you know that's kind of uh, that's kind of a cheat code for Instagram. <laughs> yeah, I can see why uh, the lowest common denominator is where it is. Yeah, but uh, anyway, if you like that kind of thing, um, ladies' butts or screen caps from. Uh, King Frat. Uh, yeah, if from... you like looking at attractive uh, A-list celebrities. Yes. <laughs> um, also, like, weird weird stuff. Uh, shot in video right. horror, that kind of thing. Um, I'm hoping to upload um, clips of our episodes and other kind of exciting video content. Uh, the video I made of the of the prince from Kroll, like, trying to um, force attract a glazed donut is on there. A glaved donut, you a mean? A glaved donut. Yeah, calling back to, what, 20 episodes ago? <laughs> uh, so do join us on Instagram at HYSTpod if you're so inclined. Of course, you can also follow the Twitter, which is the same handle, HYSTpod. I also would like to shout out a new patron. This one goes out to Keller. Thanks for joining us. And if you would like to be cool like Keller, that's patreon.com slash have you seen this. Uh, you can join us for a pledge of as low as $2 a month. Uh, now, business is concluded, so we can get to dessert, the good stuff. What are we talking about today, Tim? Uh, I uh, There is a, a singular acting style uh, <laughs> that uh, <laughs> is embodied by Nicolas Cage. Um I've, I'm, I'm butchering the phrase, but the internet describes his acting style as his, his worst is also his best. Mm-hmm. Like he's sort of, uh, you know, Schrodinger's cat of, of performances where no matter how unhinged and just ridiculous and absurd his performance is, you don't know if like the joke is on you or like if you're in on it, you can't tell. So like no matter how goofy and off-putting and inappropriate his performances, I think that 
because he commits to it and he does it every time, you're like, this is this is what you're getting. And when you get that, you're like, okay, like this is this is a good Nicolas Cage performance, even though it's not a good performance. I I don't know. I've been turning this around in my head all day. I can't make sense of it, but we're trying to get to the bottom of why Nicolas Cage acts the way he does. It's funny that you put it that way because, you know, as longtime listeners might recall, I think I've said it on the show before, I've never really been on the Nicolas Cage train. Um, mm-hmm. As I got older, I had kind of shifted to this point of view of, of well, you know, people really like him. He obviously has a charisma which draws people in and he's very memeable like i okay like i kind of get why people like love him so much yeah it's it's kind of the same thing as what christopher walken is doing yeah right so as i was saying um i had not been on the nicholas cage train up to this point but today i watched vampire's kiss from 1988 and I finally get it. I get okay. the Nicolas Cage thing. Right. It, and- it is a remarkable performance, and the movie is tailor-made for this show because people really did not... This is yet another movie that people really did not fucking get at the time it came out. Yeah, and and I, I hasten to add, you know, Nicolas Cage, I think that you can put him in the same... You can sort him in the same you know, sorting hat as um, uh, Christopher Walken and Al Pacino. Like, I think Al Pacino, like, he put in, like, some nuanced performances, and then he kind of got his hook. Like, people liked him for a certain kind of performance, and then he just became that performance. So Yeah, and, um, no, finish what you were saying. No, I was going to move on to the next thing. What what were you going to say? Oh, well, what I was going to say about Pacino is that um, this is, uh, to kind of state a, a hack opinion on, like, late period Pacino... Mm-hmm. Um, I think that the consensus is like, oh, you know, like he had that like really ridiculous performance in Heat and, you know, he's really over the top and like Senna of a Woman. So, mm-hmm. you know, late period Pacino is where he kind of just leaned into being like a total ham and you yeah, know, Jack about great asses. Yeah. Um, Speaking of Bryce Dallas Howard. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, uh, yeah. Jack The point I was going to make is that you know, Pacino has kind of taken this turn into camp, whereas Nicolas Cage seems to have embraced camp from the very, very beginning. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of, you know, almost on an Andy Kaufman level, like it's never winking. It is just like, it's, you know, the, the, the joke never stops. Yes. In a way. Yeah. And it makes me want to kind of go back and reevaluate some of his like eighties performances, because I remember like he has a small part in cotton club and I have the, um, super duper director's cut on Blu-ray, which I haven't had time to watch yet, but I'm very much looking forward to. And I always thought he was terrible in cotton club, but now I kind of want to go back and see if maybe like, I just didn't get what the fuck he was doing. Um, he's doing something cotton club being another movie, which, uh, didn't land at the time, which we will talk about at some point in the future. But for now, we're talking about Vampire's Kiss. Uh, what did yeah. you think about Vampire's Kiss, Tim? Well, the reason that I had suggested this is because you know, in in you know the the pop culture zeitgeist, you know, Nicolas Cage is expected you know to have a certain kind of performance, and you've seen that in 
you know, the Wicker Man, obviously. Um, you know, you've seen that. You, you've seen him hamming it up in in Face Off. Mm-hmm. Like, there's that um, notorious scene of him, like, you know, losing his mind and trashing a bathroom in Mandy. Like all of Mandy. You know, there's him in you know Con Air, which you know, that's a whole topic for another time. Just the entire movie of Con Air. Um, so what I wanted to get at is like. At what point did Nicolas Cage, like, find his muse? Like, when did he find his voice? Because you might be, like, a Johnny-come-lately to be like, oh, you know, this performance in Mandy is really unhinged. And it's like, that wasn't the first one. Let's let's go back. Let's go back, you know, further earlier into his career and, like, find when did Nicolas Cage start being Nicolas Cage? Because he isn't really like that in, say, Raising Arizona. Yeah, because it's like a it's a it's a comedic performance, but it's very well balanced. And like he's definitely capable of doing very serious drama. You know, like he got a lot of good press for um, leaving Las Vegas, for yeah. example. So yeah, yeah, that's sort of like him reminding, like, yeah, I can you know I can do the normal stuff. It's mm-hmm. you know like, but I, here's what I want to be doing. Yeah, and you know he um, that movie uh, Pig just came out, and he's getting like raves for for that performance. So yeah, I mean he he might just be the 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 movie actor with like the greatest range possible. <laughs> like I don't know, we could probably <laughs> argue about that for for yeah. I mean I, hours. I, yeah, I guess like you know I was at the you know Andy Warhol Museum recently, and you know you see this with a lot of you know pop art, or with a lot of modern art. <laughs> Where, you know, the the shit take is kind of like, oh, you know, I, you know, my kid could have done that. I could have done that. Mm-hmm. And it's like, but it isn't just, yeah, but you didn't. But it's also like this artist needed to learn everything about art to get to that point to create this thing. Mm-hmm. It's it's all the stuff you don't see leading into that. And I think that's kind of what, um, you know, what you can use. You can use that metaphor to describe Nicholas Cage's acting style in that he knows how to act. He chooses to act a particular way. <laughs> yeah, and I wonder if it doesn't have a lot to do with the fact that he's actually a Coppola and his <laughs> right. his surname was a deliberate name change because um of course he's Luke Cage. It, that's exactly right. He's a because he's a comic book fiend. Um yeah. he obviously when um you are in a very famous family. It does fucking open doors. Like, let's be real. Yes. But what I I'm... mean, look at Sofia Coppola's career. Fuck's sake. That dumb bitch. Um, yeah, anyway, but anyway. <laughs> um, it does open doors, but I feel that for Nicolas Cage, it the, the name was becoming a little bit of an albatross for him. Um, mm-hmm. You know, where he would you know try it for a role and people would just want to talk about his uncle yeah um so you know the deliberate decision to kind of cast that off and and forge his own path and you know we do talk a lot about um we we try to keep people cognizant of the fact that of how important nepotism and class and things like that are in hollywood and I can't deny that this has definitely benefited Nicolas Cage, but he's really gone like above and beyond with yeah, it. Yeah, he's he's he seems to have made an effort to not so that one can't just be like, oh, he's a 
fairly, you know, standard competent actor who got here because of, you know, connections. Yeah. It's he is still, you know, working to make a name for himself that isn't Coppola. Yeah, and he'll do weird shit. So, you know, yeah. respect. And this <clears throat> this movie is definitely weird shit. And honestly, like I fucking loved it. Yeah, like he he had me from the start <laughs> with the needless unconvincing accent that he's doing he talks a little bit like this i don't even know what that is what kind of accent is that it's um what i've heard is that it's uh you know because he he's playing a character who's like uh you know he's a guy who lives in manhattan wealthy he's a literary agent and it's yeah. a, the for the character it's a deliberate affectation and it does seem to become stronger when he's talking to people that he wants to impress um okay. But yeah, like it's an interesting choice because at first you're like, what is this guy doing? When you hear when you hear him talking like this, you're kind of like, where is he going with this? Yeah. Like what like what the hell is going to happen with this guy? And it's it's really a ride. It's a it's a really fascinating character study. Yeah, because he's doing all the like um all the like weirdly frenetic explosive things that like you'll see him doing these things in you know face off or you'll see him doing you know these explosive unconvincing acts in like Mandy or you know Wicker Man or whatever but like all the stuff that you've seen in his later movies he's doing here like there's a scene of him talking to his therapist and like he's just like frantically like shouting out the ABCs I was, I was a, practically crying laughing by that point. It's that such scene. a weird, unhinged moment that, that like, to, to see him do it in anything else, you're like, yeah, okay, he's doing the same thing that, you know, he's that he did in, in Vampire's Kiss. Well, it's a very, and it's a very deliberate decision in Vampire's Kiss because, like, on one level, this movie is about a man having a psychotic break, but in... Like, on a deeper level, it's really about somebody just going absolutely insane with misogyny. Uh, I think you're watching American Psycho. Well, I have Although, heard I have heard that yeah. this performance informed Christian Bales in American Psycho. I can totally see that because yeah. it does um it does kind of swim in that cesspool of, you know, late 80s Manhattan excess. Yeah. You know, the sort of the, the, you know, greed is good mantra. Um, yes. Yeah. It like there's, you know, him out you know, at a bar and there are people discussing, you know, like their investment portfolios. Um, I don't remember if there's any blow in this or not, but like. Yes, there is. Uh, yeah. But spirit, spiritually, there sure as hell is. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so it is in that same kind of miasma of what the uh, maybe of the, you know, uh frantic competitive social climbing new yorker was feeling at the time maybe that's what's coming out here well and this was also a time uh the rise of the yuppie and yes, people really yeah. fucking hated yuppies <laughs> right yeah that provides some much needed context yuppies i'd forgotten about them thanks jen and it's interesting to compare this movie to another one that we covered several episodes back, um, which Tim watched. Bright Lights, but he, Big City, yes. yes uh, Tim watched it, but he wasn't in on the episode um, because I think correctly, Tim was like, this, this movie is not worth my time. Um, mm -hmm. And 
it is it is a movie which is based on uh you know it's it's based on the Jay McInerney novel and a book which turned out to be better than I thought it would but it still is kind of in that very like superficial New York milieu and yes. this movie is absolutely a takeoff of that kind of thing right yeah it does certainly feel that way that, that impression does definitely come across and also what's more 80s than Jennifer Beals Right, yes, Jennifer Beals as the vampire, question mark? Yeah, and I feel a little bad for her because she did The Bride, and then she did this, and both of those movies flopped horribly. But honestly, this this movie is a, is a real winner. Um, I haven't <laughs> seen The Bride in a while, but I remember it being not good. Yeah, uh, well, you know, she's, she'll always have Flashdance. Mm-hmm. Um, Even though that wasn't actually her dancing in the uh, long shot. <laughs> oh hey Jen, did you know that uh, John Lennon used to beat his wife too? Mm-hmm. Wow. <laughs> Thanks. I heard he did heroin too. Oh well, really? So yeah, so it has that um, that eighties New York uh, yuppie energy to it. Um, you know, Nicholas Cage is playing just this like just this weird character, and to <laughs> he's a real uh, piece of shit. <laughs> yeah, he is. He uh, he has an assistant. Who 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 dresses like uh like a Quaker, uh per, <laughs> played by Maria Conchita Alonso, whose name I only know because of the riff tracks of McBain. Yes. Um. And interesting side note about Maria Conchita Alonso, um, which I won't spend too much time on because it's not really relevant to um mm-hmm. a lot of the themes in this movie. But it must be said, like if any of you have seen uh McBain, um, not the extended simpsons bit but the um the james it's christopher walken yes yeah. the james glickenhaus movie with, with christopher walken um my Speaking impression is not very good but um no one's is most, it doesn't have to be most people don't do a good walken um, no they don't <laughs> you just gotta work on your hackman and you'll you'll be good um uh it's a very bizarre reactionary movie about a ragtag group of Vietnam veterans who at the behest of a very weepy Maria Conchita Alonso um, steamroll through Colombia, pull off a coup to avenge her brother's death and depose a dictator. Um, Weird fucking movie that I would actually really like to talk about on the show one day. Um, well, maybe we can have Bill on and he'll talk about it. Yeah, but it does... Maybe we can have Christopher Walken on. Maybe he'll talk about it. I don't, well, why don't you just talk like Christopher Walken and then we can just do the show that way. Okay. I will. <laughs> Attaboy. Um, yeah. But it's very much in kind of uh, Marita Conchita Alonso's body of work. It, it really fits in with her kind of thing because like her thing is uh being a um a cuban born venezuelan who really hates communists like political politically she's very conservative and so is her brother who seems to be a complete lunatic it's a guy named robert alonzo um who i'm pretty sure wrote his own novel length wikipedia entry I mean, huh. it's a, I'm surprising they didn't edit that down. It literally, that. his Wikipedia entry literally has 18 it's, different sections. Um, is it longer than the Sonic the Hedgehog entry? Because that's like the gold standard. 
for I mean, completionist. Like on like honestly, it might be close, and um, it's it's very weird, and I got to find a way to talk about this guy, um, at some point because he seems insane. Um, right. But let me just read you the 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 last section of this article before um the references. Um, this subsection is called Robert Alonzo versus Donald Trump. And then it's got a little cage sub- match. It's got a little subheader that says Alonso versus Trump in yeah, case okay. you weren't paying attention. And this is the section in full on July 18th, 2020, Robert Alonzo uh-huh. wrote president Donald Trump, a public letter, which was delivered to him by hand by a mutual friend claiming his support to the Venezuelan socialists. The letter was copied to many important personalities related to him and was read by more than two and a half million people. How how big was this letter? It must have been enormous. <laughs> I don't know, but the site on it is the letter itself, and it points back to Robert Alonzo's website, which, at a glance, is, again, a site created by a lunatic. But suffice to yeah, say, Maria Cachito like Alonzo... level. Her family seems pretty reactionary. Whatever. Um, that's a topic for another time. She's very good in this movie as this poor, tormented woman <laughs> who has yeah. to well, work she's, for she's Nicolas no, Cage's character. She's no Elizabeth Pena. I'm Team Pena then. Never heard a bad thing about her. Well, I mean, uh, Elizabeth Pena being a... Um, she did play an actual Jezebel in... Uh, in Jacob's Ladder, so it's a very yes. di- very different role. Like like Tim yeah. said, um, Maria Conchita Alonso. Go back Alonso, and listen to that episode. Yeah, and Maria Conchita Alonso in this role is, um, you know, she's a good. She's obviously a good Catholic girl, and she she dresses like one. But she right is unfortunate enough to have to work for this absolute piece of dog shit. <laughs> right. Yeah, and he does get uh the the meme is based on it he he has a whole scene berating her when he's just like just off his nut thinks he's becoming a vampire where you know he where he he's telling her he's like yeah i'm gonna you know you're gonna have to work late and you're gonna find this file like this this missing contract is about the only through line in the story which is weird that like that's the whole thread that this hangs on yeah the smallness of the story is worth noting because it is such a it's such a petty thing which really sparks um the plot into motion and there's even a scene where um where uh god what's his name in the movie is peter lowe there's a scene where peter lowe fields a call from the guy who was requesting the contract and on and he's and Lowe is using this moment to try to intimidate uh, his secretary, Alva, Maria Conchita Alonso. He's trying to make it look like she's in a big fucking trouble because this guy needs this fucking contract like yesterday. And the guy in the... And he's like... No, go ahead. No, I'm just going to finish your your joke. No, please. Oh, yeah, because the other guy, you know, you can't... She can't hear it, but on the other end, the guy's like, yeah, it's no big deal. These things go missing. Just get it to me when you do or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, they and, you know, Lowe's on the other hand, you know, is like agreeing with him. But then, you know, hangs up and he's like, you see, I could not even get a word in edgewise. He's completely, a, he's very upset. You see what trouble you're in. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And 
he really has no reason whatsoever to torment this woman, but he is intensely fixated on her. The contract is merely an excuse. And I think it's important that not only do we have a, a Latino woman in, you know, playing the secretary role, but um, a woman that uh, Lowe goes home with at the beginning of the movie is another woman of color, a black woman, um, mm-hmm. who he just kind of generally fucks over just by being a complete psycho. Right. Yeah. Again, uh, uh, prefiguring American psycho. Here's another thought, too, that just came to me based on my shitty impression of you, Nicolas Cage, in this movie. Did my shitty impressions also sound like another sociopathic, a famous uh, Manhattan, uh, shallow, rich person? I don't know. I think that guy's great. I think he's one of the greatest guys ever. Every, everyone's saying it, folks. <laughs> yeah, the greatest ever. Just there. like, I, give it, give it a close viewing. See if maybe that accent, that whatever weird accent that you know Nick Cage is doing in this, maybe that is the accent. Maybe that's the voice. That's a really good point. Like, I don't know if it's maybe like some just very fucking weird Manhattan kind of affectation because it, it could be. I don't I don't know a fuck of a lot about NYC. I've lived on the West Coast my whole life. I did look up the actual West address. Coast. Thank you. Where uh, Nicolas Cage lives in the movie. And uh, mm-hmm. the, it is a it last sold like a couple years ago for seven million. So. Mm-hmm. You know, very, very. So, so what is that about a thousand square feet, or? Yeah, <laughs> well, so you know, <laughs> yeah. this is definitely like there, there's a big class element to this movie as well. Um, I didn't name, I didn't name the the actress that Nicolas Cage stands up in the movie um, at the beginning. Uh, Cassie Lemons plays Jackie. Um, and... Is she that uh, artist type? Yes, he's the one that. Yeah. The, um, She's the one that he basically stands up at the gallery, or he's like, yeah. I have to piss, and then he just, like, leaves. He just bolts, yeah. And it's interesting to note that um, at all the points in the movie where Peter Lowe might have to be honest or reveal a bit of himself or an actual, or have an actual self-reflective moment, he just yeah. deflects it like a fucking expert right yeah he's he's there to like not take responsibility for himself he's there to like use and exploit people a parasite some sort of blood-sucking metaphor i don't know (laughs) yeah so you can read this movie in a couple different ways you can read it from the um you can read it from the angle of like this is an exploration of misogyny or you can kind of take it as um from like a kind of class angle but you know i think i think both readings definitely work in this case yeah i mean i definitely take it as a class angle because you know in that scene that i had mentioned earlier the later one where he's you know berating you know his i guess she's his assistant or whatever maria cachito alonso um how how he's saying like i can't alva Alva, Alva! Thank you. <laughs> uh yeah where you know the the memeable scene where he's saying he can't find anyone else to do it because like she is the lowest you know rung on on the ladder mm-hmm. he's saying you know i couldn't think of a more horrible job and he is just like staring daggers at her when he's when he's delivering this line being like i'm gonna do this to you purely because i can because you have no other options 
exactly being a horrible boss yeah and it this this is also kind of re-emphasized later when um you know we see alva at her home and her mom's kind of berating her like you know you need to get out of bed like you can't afford to lose this job um everyone hates their boss like just just get your ass to manhattan and you know blah blah blah. because you know she lives in the she lives in the outer boroughs with like her family right so you know there's there's like a huge like class difference there but i don't think it's a it's a coincidence that the the women that Nicolas Cage treats like trash in this movie are women of color. Mm, yeah, but he's I hadn't also like that. really like I mean he's and but this is a dynamic that plays out with a lot of these kinds of guys, you know, like these fucking like you know Strom Thurmond type assholes who like use these women. It's like they're intensely erotically interested in women of color, but. They, well, yes, because it's just so wrong, you know, race mixing. Exactly. And so they just, dirty. But they can't bring themselves to be in, like, a actual giving relationship. With <laughs> to this, be open-minded enough, yeah. Yeah, and, like, it's a, it's a recurring thing with Peter Lowe that, especially toward the end of the movie when he's, like, ranting and raving about finding love, Mm-hmm. Um, to the point where he invents a new love interest out of whole cloth, who's like a, a very classy, a image of him. intelligent, like white woman who loves all the same things that he does and is, you know, beautiful and agreeable and who he cannot not misogynistically abuse within like five minutes <laughs> Right. Like, by the time he gets home, he's calling her a bitch and a cunt and, like, just screaming. <laughs> yeah, it just shows what kind of person he is, like, at his core. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so, yeah, love or not, this is just, like, a, a toxic human being. Mm-hmm. Um, one of One of the things that I thought was kind of a missed opportunity, uh, because I'm, I'm looking at this from a modern, you know, vampire myth, you know, like, a, a vampire the masquerade you know, level interpretation <laughs> of, you know, the vampire mythos, if you will. Um, and one of the things, too, that I noticed, and I think that it gets lost in a lot of, you know, Nick Cage's eccentricities and his performance, but um, when he is at the club, when he is, like, fully realizing himself as a vampire, quote-unquote vampire, <laughs> um, the way that he carries himself, if you had to interpret the body language of Nosferatu in a modern environment... He is doing a Nosferatu pose. Absolutely. Yeah. So he's like, so he's carrying himself in this weird, like, it's something that, like, at the time, you know, when, you know, Nosferatu was being made in what, like, the, what, like, the 20s, the teens? Yeah. Like, when it is, um, when it is that very, you know, stylized, um, I can't think of the name of it, that German expressionist style, where it's like, yeah, give a deliberately like weird jarring performance. I have a feeling that, you know, Nick Cage with the proper acting chops saw that and it's like, yeah, why not? I'm going to do that. I'm <laughs> yeah, going to because... do something that is just so like weird and alien. Well, why I think not? I think it's part of uh I think it's part of how he acts out in his psychotic break because when um you know, there's a scene of Jennifer Beals, uh, Rachel, the vampire, just basically like doming him. And he's just kind of staring listlessly at a TV, which is playing Nosferatu. So I think yeah. that he gets it in his head is like, oh, I'm a vampire. This is just how vampires act. So he starts like hunching into his suit. Like he kind of effectively uses the shoulders of the suit to look 
like silhouette yeah. of, of Nosferatu. Like there's a moment when he reaches out from under the couch to turn yep. off an alarm and he he's definitely doing like vampire arm like that, that right, kind of like yeah. affected graceful way of reaching out yeah so i don't know if it's the actor or the character but yeah it's definitely it's it's purposefully affected you know vamp vampire like nosferatu style uh performance um going I've, back to vampire the masquerade really quickly i guess that yeah. uh if you were to play um peter Lowe in a vampire the masquerade game your clan would be the ventru because those are the ones that seek wealth and power that definitely fits yeah jen you know your you know your masquerade lore. <laughs> i did i did read through the um the uh the source book um i think second edition yeah yeah yeah, yeah, me. I was a uh, what? A, I was a, a glasswalker, but I was a guru glasswalker, which is like one percent of them. It's like cool. You pick the wrong clan, you idiot. <laughs> I I don't think I ever settled on a clan because I couldn't decide. Well, yeah, I know. That's why I stopped trying to encourage you guys to play games with me. Um, <laughs> one of the bitter. Yeah. Well, no, I know when to cut my losses. Aww. Um. Yeah. So one of well, the well, Darren never ran the game, so. Right. Well, you can lead a horse to water. Um, One of the missed opportunities I felt, though, in this um, uh, this abusive relationship, uh, you know, between Lowe and uh, Alva, I thought that the movie might have set her up as his Renfield. (laughs) Because she's kind of, you know, this this weak willed person who kind of, you know, is doing his bidding like she's not exactly, you know, she's not like kissing his feet you know isn't in his thrall but like he is pushing her around to like basically do like you know all of his grunt work i thought that they they were going to take that in in a direction of her being you know renfield to him but they didn't they didn't do anything with that well i think it would have changed the tone of the story because like really at least the way i interpret it the story is really about a, a a particular type of guy like using this vampire thing as kind of an excuse to to act out um and peter lowe as a character is you know he really is the kind of guy who just acts like really fucking weird and phony because he's a you know he's like just like he's a, a weird phony he's a fucking weird phony rich person but because he is so demented by his experiences with women like he just does not he does not know how to relate to women in a normal way like he you know women like alva and jackie he's just going to treat with contempt um rachel who he conceptualizes in his mind as like a a vampire um you know it's probably just like just some regular chick who like fucking goes to like new york nightclubs but you know she's like beautiful and white and they fucked so he gets this weird fixation on her um but she doesn't know or care who the fuck he is like when he finally confronts her at the nightclub she's like peter right like she has no attachment to this man but he has invented this entire scenario out of whole cloth where you know she's um she's commanding him but she's also demanding like you know tell me you love me tell me you love me Um, yeah she's this kind of insecure dom yeah like the way that bitches do you know what i mean like it's it's a very (sighs) i do jen (laughs) well well, i was gonna ask you tim like how many vampire women have you dated uh 
Well, ones that like just drain my will to live, you mean? Or <laughs> which, you know, that kind of um, and like I'm not. I swear to God, Tim, I'm, I'm not fucking putting you on the on the spot here. Like that's right. that's not the intent. But uh, it is the case with like uh, quite a few men that they have these um, they have these elaborate fantasies of uh, you know very sexual women, but it's also engenders a kind of terror in them because they they have like really conflicting feelings about like giving into that kind of like intense sexuality and like god forbid giving into any kind of like real genuine feeling so they have to conceptualize uh, women as either like succubuses and vampires or, or should i say succubi succubi yeah succubi um they have to conceptualize women as either succubi or kind of cringing suck you by any means necessary Woo! or um cringing servants like alva and yeah because alva's costume is so like deliberately um uh what's the word just like uh it's decentralizing yeah it's so out of place it's so um conservative yeah, and it kind of um, it it plays up like her relative innocence. Like a lot of her performance, even though like I mean, she knows this guy is a fucking lunatic. She's terrified of him. She, you know, she's like, I have a gun. I have a gun. You know, like I'll shoot you. But yeah, she does have a gun filled with blanks. She's actually terrified of having to pull the trigger um, because she is like a more. Um, I mean, she seems like kind of like a shy Catholic girl. Yes. And a lot of her mannerisms are very placating towards him when he's like, you know, he dares, he throws her a bone of like, you know, being like a little bit nice to her. And she's kind of like, eh, OK, like, you know, kind of um, smiling like a little timidly, you know, in that way that, um, you know, I think a lot of women have experienced when you're dealing with a lunatic where you're like, OK, like, you know, that's um, no, like that's that's actually fine. Like, I'm fine. Like, it's 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 OK, um, because you know, you don't want to send him off again, right? <laughs> so, right. Um, but what it culminates in is that uh, because he is so, you know, he has this weird fucking fixation on her. Um, he eventually chases her down to the basement of their building. And, yeah. you know, she's threatening to pull the trigger. But, you know, like Tim said, the gun is filled with blanks. And she's she's crying and she's begging, like, please don't rape me. And he's like... I'll rape you. <laughs> it's, like, it's like, yeah, you know, this is pretty much where it was going to end up because, you know, in spite of her being like, you well, know, yeah, he's also like goading her. He's also like, shoot me. Yeah. Shoot me. Go ahead. Yeah. Cause you know what, what what's she going to do? I mean, and that's a lot of times how these kind of, um, these kind of class, uh, or just like, a regular abusive relationship yeah Yeah, exactly like um you know when one person holds the power in the relationship it's like yeah what the fuck are you gonna do your gun's filled with blanks like you can't fucking hurt me yeah like she knows that she's powerless and he's like goading her to like you know put up or shut up but you know she doesn't have any uh she doesn't have anything to to fight him with yeah she's like, powerless against him all she's got is like a brother who like wants to basically you tune like, him up yeah like um you know fight for her honor basically because he goes yeah. over there with a fucking crowbar well, yeah which he does and it's funny too because uh and this is 
you know, not having lived in New York, I can't, you know, speak to, you know, this is my, uh, you know, personal lived experience. But, you know, just from the stories I hear, Nicolas Cage's character sounds like just any random subset of the New York population at any given time. Like, there are some people who are just, just hanging by it, you know, hanging mm-hmm. by a thread, just on the edge, just losing their shit, trying to still get by. Like, just, um, you know, just... Uh, falling apart and you have no idea what's going on or like why they're like that it's just you know you're seeing a crazy person just shouting and you know running down the street the opposite direction of where you're going no idea why yeah and that's why the the setting is really perfect because you know this this is like a very new york story and you know nicholas cage like kind of shambling down the street like waving yeah, a holding piece this of wood, like piece of wood bloody shirt like just talking nonsense it's like ah hey only in new york right yeah yeah talking to himself on his street corner thinks he's at his therapist oh yeah also he killed a woman in a nightclub earlier <laughs> i lo- i also love the part in the nightclub where um uh there's a moment where he's like retching and he does it near a mm-hmm. table full of people and they they don't even react to him like looking like he's about to vomit they just they just get up while still talking and vacate the table yeah because <laughs> yeah, like hey, yeah let's just know, go like, over here because yeah who knows what happens there's... in that nightclub like you know night to night um a yeah little nightclub yeah. called tunnel which uh was open from some uh like sometime in the 80s till like 2001 i believe uh destroyed oh. by uh giuliani's administration uh, was was sex hole closed <laughs> Sounds like church. Yeah. Uh, and earlier in there, too, just the, the notion that, like, you do not get a goddamn moment's peace in the city <laughs> is after, like, you know, he's become completely unhinged. Like, he has this psychotic break. He comes to, like, in a bathroom, and he's like, where am I? And he's, like, shouting to himself in the mirror. He's like, I become a vampire. And, th- and then there's, like, one of his... Like one of the older like coworkers of here is like, "Will you shut up?" Like he's taking a shit while this is going yeah. on. <laughs> and so then was... like when he's running down the street, just going, "I'm a vampire! I'm a vampire! I'm a vampire!" Yeah, <laughs> and you can imagine that like the people that he's passing, like this isn't the weirdest thing they've seen today. Yeah. So, and, which is really it's um, it's really apt that a man can slowly lose his mind in a city full of millions of people and it's just like oh that guy's crazy and you know yeah, and then he, he dies in, and then he dies in squalor which is also like so telling <laughs> just like yeah he yeah he ate a pigeon he like you know tore up his apartment because again like you know if you want to talk about the scene in mandy of you know him in the bathroom like he already did that here you know he already trashed the room in like his weird you know, inimitable way. It's a very good room trashing scene. Like when he yeah. kicks the lamp and it just like explodes. Yeah. Well, and, yeah, and um, he makes a coffin out of his couch. And, <laughs> yeah, the whole thing. That was a really good bit. The 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 couch coffin. Yeah. Um, also, Nicolas Cage actually ate a cockroach for this movie. Yeah. Yeah. Well, hey, you know who says he's not a good actor? And you don't even need to like dig in, dig into trivia to figure that out about the movie because there's no cut as he puts the cockroach in his fucking mouth and starts chewing. Right. Yeah. Like this is a man uh, who commits a hundred percent. So like yeah. like I said, I finally get it. Respect. I understand right. Nicolas Cage now. 
Yeah, and the thing too is that like if if you're you know the director of you know you know you're some director of an otherwise you know minor uh you know late eighties uh horror comedy and you've got Nicolas Cage on there and he's just like yeah I'm just gonna do this like you gonna say no to that you, yeah like look at this performance you can't be like hey you know Nick I want you to do it differently you'd be like no no keep going yeah more. God, that scene of him where he th- he thinks he's in his <clears throat> therapist's office is just so good. I I yes, I also I th- I really like when he's at his worst. Um, going to buy you know some fake vampire teeth because you know got to look the part. But he's got like six dollars, so he gets like the cheapo plastic Halloween teeth, and he's calling his therapist from a phone booth, and just like <laughs> the guy just is like at his wits end. Like he's just wrecked. He's like. Like, you don't know if you're coming or going, buddy. Like, he's got the the fake plastic teeth, and he's talking to the therapist, and she's like, oh, we're supposed to meet Tuesday. Is Tuesday good for you? And he's like, I need something sooner. <laughs> he's like, uh, Monday? And he's like, sooner. Like, this guy is fucking cracking up. What do we make of the fact that his therapist has a boy toy? Uh, I, I didn't know what to make of that. It's... I, uh, it's very interesting like i i don't know quite what to make of it either but um she is herself a vampire powerful (laughs) woman hmm? well the thing the 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 therapy scenes are are pretty key because they really quickly establish like exactly what kind of a piece of shit peter lowe is Mm -hmm. because uh, this is a man who is doing i think kind of the obligatory like wealthy uh, New York person thing, which is like, oh, I see a therapist, you know, but mm-hmm. he's not getting his money's worth because he is he's not, not getting any better. Yeah. Yeah. He, well, he's not. And <clears throat> it's self-sabotaging because anytime there's like I said earlier, like anytime there's a moment for him to be honest or self-lacerating or real he just <clears throat> completely takes yeah. a left turn and deflects yeah it, it does not show a character who has the you know the capacity for you know self-reflection mm-hmm. or empathy or, or humility one of the things that i am not clear on is you know like when he's running down the street and he's shouting i'm a vampire i'm a vampire is he does he feel good about that or no um I think, you know, there's, that's hard to answer, like, in the moment, because I think there are a lot of different directions that you could take it in. Like, what occurs to me immediately is that the the vampire thing is, it's a good, ex, it's a good excuse to Peter for him to just act completely out of pocket. I mean, this is a man who has a, a clear loathing of women and uh, you know every like everyone including rapists knows that it's not appropriate to sexually assault or murder women but hey that's what vampires do right (laughs) yeah you know they just take advantage of people as part of their you know nature yeah and you know what it's that fucking bitch rachel who did this to him hey yeah so and in fact um you know, sorry, sorry to resort to Wikipedia again, but um, you know, I was looking up some stuff about the cast, and I see that um, look stuff up. Wow, <laughs> uh, I need to do that's, that. that's why people pay two dollars a month, Tim. Worth it, yeah. Yes. Um, 
interesting note about the screenwriter whose name is Joseph Minion. Mm-hmm. I Min- Minion of the devil. Maybe he's like small and yellow and speaks yeah, in Yeah, he speaks in Tagalog. Yeah. Um, it says here that uh, Joseph Minion wrote the film as he grappled with depression. In an interview with Zach Schoenfeld of The Ringer, Minion said that while on vacation in Barbados with his then-girlfriend, he wrote the screenplay as a response to his toxic relationship with her. Dealing with themes okay. of isolation, loneliness, and domination, uh, Barbara Zitwer, his girlfriend, who had come on as a producer for the film, found the final product to be horrifying. <laughs> <laughs> well, great. It elicited an emotional reaction. That's what you want in, um, in a good art. And I have to depart with this assertion. Uh, the story was extremely emblematic of their relationship together, and Minion's depiction of Zitwer as a vampire and destroying him was clear foreshadowing to their the end of their relationship during production. Like, I think that's a really one-dimensional kind of reading of it. Like, it seems to me more of a of an exploration of, uh, you know, these kind of, like, specifically male delusions about women. Oh, I don't know if it's delusional. <laughs> I mean, you can be in an abusive relationship and, you know, feel the way that, you know, Peter was feeling, you know, as... You know, this woman is, you know, sucking his will to live. That's true, away. but this seems to be a delusion of his. I mean, you know, like, Rachel does not actually come back to his apartment and suck his blood. Like, she's completely confounded when he runs into her in the in the nightclub. Right, yeah, I'm saying what the, you know, what Wikipedia says the script is based on. Sure, yeah. yeah. And, um... Yeah, and you know, I'm sure that a guy like Pirlo would be like, "Oh, like all oh, my girlfriends have just they've just been cunts. They fucking abused me." And it's like, "You're the guy who's doing the abusing, dude." Uh, the writer or the character? The character. Oh, okay. I mean, I can't I can't comment on on the writer at all. Like, I I, I don't know the guy. I will say kind of another interesting um side note about him. Um his Credits are very thin after mm-hmm. this movie. He he does That's have, unfortunate. Well, um he does have some uh, a few scattered credits after this, but um there might be a good reason for it because apparently um he did write the screenplay for Martin Scorsese's After Hours, another New York based movie. One that's a it's a gap in my um Scorsese canon. I think it's on Criterion right now, so I and I definitely want to watch it. But um he wrote the screenplay for this, but um, there's a uh, blog post that makes the case that he plagiarized quite a bit of that story from another writer. Now, that would explain why he didn't write very much. Yeah. It's tough to come up with new material. Yeah, so I don't know if he was just, like, bereft of his own ideas after <laughs> Vampire's Kiss. Like, you know, sometimes people well, have only one, like, really... Abusive girlfriend, yeah. <laughs> well, sometimes people only have like one like really earth-shattering work in them. Yeah. And maybe he ran dry after Vampire's Kiss cuz I don't really see any notable credits like after this. Yeah, you know, he had a story to tell, he got it out of his system, and you know, he but, returned to obscurity. But it's fascinating because this movie, if, you know, if we take the um the account of the the creation and production of it, like Mm-hmm. This is a really scathing self-portrait if it's really based on himself. I mean, it can be based on something, but then, you know, have other, you know, twists and turns added to it. If it was just a straight 
like guy griping about his shitty girlfriend like that's not an interesting movie that can be the seed of it but then you can do other things with it sure and but you know this movie is not for example bad timing like that's that's a movie where while the the male in the relationship is like does turn out to be pretty monstrous it's a very toxic relationship from both sides um Milena has a lot of fucking problems and she really acts out um, because she doesn't know any other way to act. Like she's obviously like uh, traumatized and, you know, you could argue that Art Garfunkel's character has probably been through some kind of trauma to make him like such a, you know, cold and miserable person. But, um, you know, that's, that's a movie which is about a kind of like a mutually abusive relationship. Um, Vampire's Kiss is, I think, an examination of just how bad one man can get. Well, one type of person anyway, because, I mean, there's so many, like, I feel environmental factors going into why he is that way. It, It certainly reflects a kind of person in a certain point in time, in a certain place. Well, you're right because you can't, um, and you know, I don't want to sound, I don't want to sound like I'm just flattening it to one thing because you can't, you absolutely can't ignore the setting, the class element. You know, these are all very crucial to the movie. Um, they're, but you know, maybe these things together are what make like the misogyny like so egregious. Like you know, it's it doesn't exist in a vacuum, um, and. This particular brand of abusive misogyny is like exacerbated by by class differences. I'm just curious why he chooses why he fixates on becoming a vampire. What is the vampire metaphor? For? Well, I was thinking while I was watching this that you know since this movie was made in the 80s and there was a little bit of a resurgence of vampire stories in the 80s, which I think had something to well vampires are perennially popular because humans will always have these anxieties about sexuality contagion um that kind of thing um but you know new york in the 80s was also very hard hit by aids and hiv so yeah yeah is he like a a bug chasing vampire yeah because you know he's a he's a guy who you know picks up women and nightclubs and fucks them so of course and in spite of the fact that it's actually really hard to um it's like it's not usually uh female partners transmitting hiv to male partners i think it's easier for it to go the other way um but that doesn't matter like you know i mean we're in the middle of a pandemic and i think it's proved again and again how people don't really have a lot of like heavy scientific knowledge there's a lot of misinformation that goes around so of course like in the 80s with aids um there was like a huge amount of paranoia about casual sex yeah yeah i mean there isn't anything in the movie to back this up but you can put it as you know nicholas cage being a you know metaphorical um you know spreader of this you know deadly contagion yeah you know it's like that um that really like threadbare urban legend you know the the lipstick on the mirror welcome to the wonderful world of aids or whatever the fuck it is <laughs> oh i thought that was the one about uh getting uh stabbed with a needle in the movie theater <laughs> no it's the one where somebody put a chihuahua in the microwave 
Right. No, there's a hook hanging from the <laughs> rearview mirror. Yeah, but you know, you can kind of see how you know because vampires have always represented, um, among many other things, a fear of contagion, and vampires are always like really sexual. Um, yeah, I mean, even I, in it, even it's, in it's shitty lot... vampire stories written by a Mormon. Right. Ugh. Yeah. <laughs> Those aren't canon. Uh, I want to say you you can make a stronger case for you know the the vampire connection in like cruising, you know as a you know metaphorical, um, uh, uh, plague. Ah, um, but uh, but cruising was pre AIDS. Yeah, I'm saying like you can you can sorry not vampire you can make a you can make an AIDS metaphor out of cruising more easily even though yeah it prefigures that oh yeah no i i i get what you're saying yeah for sure because yeah. um you know that particular that particular um like you know gay subcultures and like cruising subcultures have always been about like you know danger and risk so you know of course mm-hmm. yeah and you don't really see that so much in this it's just sort of like a you know a a predator who you know appears in the night yeah and like in a way like maybe peter lowe is just kind of displacing his predatory instincts onto this this woman the the yeah. jennifer beale's character yeah you know he 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 goes out you know he takes what he wants he you know abuses someone of a lower station than himself mm-hmm. you know i have what other what other vampire traits do we have that, that we can impress upon him like, maybe it's just that, you know, the way that he sees himself, it's like, yeah, what else could I be? But, you know, it is also a powerful um, persona to embody. We aren't saying like, oh, you know, no one no one wishes to just be like, hey, I'm a zombie. You know, <laughs> hey, I'm a wolf man. Like, you know, I'm a, I'm, I'm the, 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 you know, cool, uh, immortal, you know, s- you know, slayer of maidens. I'm a fucking vampire. Yeah, exactly. And, so. um. It's very telling, too, I think, that, um, I forget, remind me if I mention this, because, uh, you know, my brain is Swiss cheese, but um, at the, near the end, when he thinks he's gone to his therapist's appointment that he made for, mm-hmm. like, 7.30 a.m. on a Monday, um, right. he he ends up, like, his his therapist ends up, you know, basically playing the part of a yenta. I think because, like, that's what he projects onto her. It's like, oh, no, like, wh- you know, you should really, like, set me up with one of your other patients. Um, and in his fantasy, that's what she does. She says, oh, you know, the patient after you, you know, she's looking for the same thing. She's looking for love. Mm-hmm. Um, and... You know, they get together and they, they make like they're about to leave. And he turns to his therapist and said, oh, well, I did actually rape someone the other night. Yeah. Oh, and, <laughs> and I killed someone. Yeah. Like he confesses to rape and murder. And yeah. And she's his, like, I'll cover it up. Yeah. Like in his fantasy, she says, oh, no, like I'll, you know, I'll take care of the cops. And like, you know, hey, like rape. That's just like that's just expressing the id. It's fine. Right. Which is a really, a really accurate kind of portrayal of how rape gets framed in culture a lot of the time like the way because it because um sexual assault is so terrible like people will try to explain it away rather than face it um you know which is which is how you get you know people saying things like well you know boys will be boys like when they've just like when a whole football team like rapes a developmentally disabled girl with a broomstick 
Yeah, or, you know, Supreme Court judge holds down a woman and had, or, you know, allegedly does something on a day that his day planner says he was present for. Hey, that's what, you know, that's what frats are like. It's all about brotherhood and, you know, sexually assaulting women together. Hey, he was blackout drunk. He couldn't be held re- accountable. So, <laughs> yeah, I mean, we, we've made, you know, before, like, uh, what? But, yeah, um, like, oh, sorry, sorry, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but, um, like, just to, to drive the point home. Um, oh, are we? You know, because of... Um, so to speak, um, right. you know, the way that his therapist responds to him in his fantasy is really emblematic of uh, how the crimes of the powerful are, are generally covered up by the people close yeah. to them. Yeah. And like, you know, we've we've talked you know before in uh, Loose Change about it being, you know, lizard lizard people who run the world or, you know, there might even Tim, be just like say Jews. Come on. Just. Yeah. Or, you know, Jews, <laughs> obviously. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Speaking, uh, of, and y- speaking of Jew York City. Yeah, right. Uh, or like, um, uh, you know, devil's advocate, you know, it's, it's, you know, the devil pulling the strings and tempting mankind. Mm-hmm. It's like, why not fucking vampires? I mean, they they tick all the boxes of, you know, higher class people, you know, prey on those who can't, you know, defend themselves, get their crimes swept under the rug, you know, live a much, you know, better, uh, mm-hmm. you know, longer life than the rest of us uh yeah like you know complete uh parasites contribute nothing of value uh take more than they give uh vampire why not that's right jews Uh, i mean vampires (laughs) jen i think we have a jewish listener don't say that (laughs) i don't even know if i'll fucking leave that in but maybe maybe that's just a joke between between you and me um right a joke between you me and the illuminati between you and me the two anti-semites but um Look, no, it's not juice. It is a particular Jew. <laughs> well, I just want to keep that straight. Um, so, um, but no, like I think I think you really hit on an important point, which is um, the yuppies are vampires. There, well, I said it. yeah, because um, and it's interesting to see Nosferatu evoked in this movie because. Um, like it's been a while since I've seen Nosferatu, which is a movie that I I really enjoy because it it still freaks me out. Like that, the shot of uh, the vampire like coming out of the hold of the ship, where you just see his like face and his hand, and yep. he's like, and he's got this like hell yeah expression. Oh god, it's I, like I have full body chills thinking about that that single he's, shot. Yeah, it's like I'm going to fuck and kill my way across London. Oh yeah, so. Okay. Yeah. Um, but um, <laughs> I I had a huge fear of vampires when I was a little kid too. I can understand that. I mean, they're everywhere. I was absolutely terrified as a little kid of being bitten by a vampire and turned into a vampire. <laughs> really? But like, that's the um... yeah. Because you'd never grow up. It'd be like uh, Interview with a Vampire. You'd, well, you'd be a little Kirsten Dunst your whole life. Oh yeah, that's right. Um. Mm-hmm. Oof, yeah, Oof, creepy. Um, <laughs> yeah, it, it doesn't matter that she looks like she's 12. She's actually 400 years old. Thank you very much. Oh, bro, I tip my trilby to you. Oh, that's so hot. I'm a libertarian. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, um, you know, because uh, kind of the Bram Stoker, um, Bela Lugosi, Dracula vision of vampires is of kind of a... Um, you know, like nobility, 
Yeah, he's old money, he's a classy dude, and he's going to steal your girlfriend. Yeah, and then you contrast it with Nosferatu, who is really, like, just monstrous. Like, you know, this he's guy a ghoul. is... You are not going to see that guy at any nightclubs um, right. in, in New well, York. Maybe a goth club. Yeah. <laughs> um, they, they love freaks. Um, he's very, like, monstrous and animalistic and... and you know he's he he isn't somebody who would just kind of like fit in um to like a meeting of hedge fund guys or something but oh yeah then there's that scene of him with like his uh his his cohort his co-workers and him just like doing that like brain fake laughing <laughs> it feels like it feels like the the business card scene in american psycho and you know i like not to belabor the point about uh, depictions of misogyny, but, you know, this is very much like a boys club and it's like, oh, like, you know, we yeah. abuse women and we laugh about it. And right. The... And you can you can join that club if you're an abusive woman as well. You know, like it's, it's the abuse that is the key to all this. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Um, like... Sorry. What point were you going to make, Tim? No, no. I was just going to, you know, to, to reiterate as, you know, uh, you know, Nicolas Cage's character in. You know, Vampire's Kiss being this uh, textbook yuppie Nosferatu. Like, I think that's yeah. what he perfectly embodies in this. Yeah, and, um, you know, like I mentioned, like, the, you know, the Nosferatu vampire is, um, you know, very monstrous, but the mm-hmm. the later vampire, the, the uh, Bela Lugosi type, the, um, or, you know, the um, uh, Gary Oldman in... Uh, the other Coppola's movie, um, right, the Dracula yeah. movie, yeah, and Nicolas Cage's uncle also directed a movie <laughs> about vampires. But you know, yeah. he's like a, like you said, like an old money guy, like living in this castle. Um, but he's doing it all yeah. for love. <laughs> yeah, and he's basically going to like you know steal this guy's girlfriend because it's like I, I, I saw her first. Yeah, three hundred years ago. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, um, it's. It's interesting, kind of the, um, you know, that uh, Peter Lowe uh, is inspired by Nosferatu, but he is that kind of vampire who moves in in lofty circles. And I think that, that kind of that meeting scene that you mentioned, like, really drives that home because, you know, it's a bunch of these fucking ghouls, like, laughing about a woman who's just being tormented to her wit's end. And it's really clear how powerfully affected uh alva is by her boss's treatment of her because you know she's apparently catatonic by the end she can't uh he sexually assaults her um you know she goes home she curls up she won't come out of her room it takes most of the weekend for her to get up the strength to go tell her brother what's happened we don't even see her telling him she just basically breaks down in his arms like this is a woman who's been profoundly traumatized by this experience and that's the kind of thing that you know people like peter lowe and his cronies just fucking laugh off because you know hey like you know she's just a stupid cunt right well it's like what what else are you gonna do are you gonna go like you're you should be you should consider yourself lucky to even have this job exactly because she has she has no recourse except like her brother with a with a tire iron (laughs) right yeah and then um ultimately peter lowe basically mercs himself with the stake. Well, I don't know. In some like weird, I don't know. Is it like a crisis of conscience? It's like you know, he's he's begging Alva to, to shoot him. 
Mm-hmm. You know, he wants people to like put the stake through him because he because he seems conflicted about being a vampire. In the later scenes when like, you know, the sun is up and you know, he he doesn't seem entirely okay with it. Even though he embraces being a vampire, he also seems to be of two minds about it and he wants to die. He wants to be to be killed for I don't know, maybe put him out of his misery. Maybe that's what this is a metaphor for. You know what I think it is? Um hmm. and you know, not to not to tread too close to personal traumas or, or anything like that, but mm-hmm. if you've ever been in a relationship, like you know, even just a friendship with like a very toxic manipulative person like have you ever had that experience where someone is screaming at you like i'm gonna kill myself or or you know after they've just like just like verbally and emotionally abused you just been like i'm such a piece of shit i'm sorry it's because the people who do this kind of thing like literally don't know how to deal with their negative feelings like they don't they don't have a way to say like you know what like I'm feeling really bad about this. Like I'm feeling very defensive and attacked and I'm taking it out on you. That would require self-reflection. Like the, and the act of the manipulator is to be like, like I'm going to fucking kill myself and then you'll be sorry. Or, you know, just fucking shoot me. Cause I'm such a piece of shit. You know, it's not, um, it's not an honest way of connecting with a partner. It's basically like, turning the aggression on the other person, making them the abuser and having a pity party for yourself. And I think a lot of what Peter Lowe is doing is kind of running around being like, yeah, I'm, I'm a vampire. I'm a fucking piece of shit who, who like murders women in nightclubs, you know? Yeah. It's, it's sort of like, you know, uh, reveling in it despite, you know, him knowing that it's not okay. Yeah. Yeah, and I really... But he's not doing anything to, like, not... He's not doing anything to stop doing it. Yeah, like, he, you know, he's not going to not rape his secretary, you know. Right, he's yeah. going to do I mean, it, and then be like, like yeah. shoot me, bitch. Yeah, right. Like, I mean, she can't prevent him from raping her. Why not rape her? Mm-hmm. I yeah. think, that, yeah, like, again, that's sort of like, you know, vampire got a vampire. Like, you, you sustain yourself by murdering people. Like, that's what a vampire does. Yeah. So and- it's it's... If you're a human being trying to come to terms with that, that's 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 going to take a lot out of you. You might want to just take a stake through the heart. Yeah, and to to go back to cruising, it's like the the you know the mantra, the killer in that movie is "You made me do this." Right. Yeah. You know, simply by yeah. being like a young hot guy ha- having a good time in a bar. Yeah, you you brought this on yourself. It's it's your fault for what's you know what's happening to you. Yeah, and you know, it's like you can you can be like a really meek person and dress like Alva and you can still get fucking sexually assaulted by your boss. Hey, yeah, that's an excellent point. Yeah. Uh yeah, and at no point were the, you know, of you know, were the class of people, you know, preying on the rest of us in New York ever going to stop. Yeah. Like they would have they would have to be made to stop. They'd have to be, you know, uh destroyed by sunlight or, you know, uh <laughs> had had a, a cross you know, uh, uh, forced against them or, you know, a stake through the heart. Like they were never going to stop being this way. This is just the way they are. And so. maybe maybe that's why this movie works so much better than Bright Lights Big City because in Bright Lights Big City, when like the sun finally falls on Michael J. Fox, he has this 
really maudlin revelation, like revolving around freshly baked bread. Okay. And then he's like, you know what? I'm going to go call that girl that I really hit it off with. And it's like, well, you, you know, maybe this is the first step on a larger journey, but like, you're still a fuck up who just does cocaine and like self, like sabotages, like, yeah, you're kind of a good product you of your, in your environment. As long as, yeah, as long as you're in that, like you aren't going to change your nature. You're going; it's going to continue to reinforce those habits. Yeah, and it does. Like, it does make me wonder. Like, what, um, you know, if we followed continue, if we followed the story of the Michael J. Fox character from Bright Lights, Big City, like, you know, what he, hey, you know, he's a, a he's a likable good-looking young guy with connections like yeah you know he fucked up his fact-checking job but you know he could probably get another really good gig in manhattan maybe he would just turn into peter lowe eventually yeah and you know like a, a, unless you're unless they're killed outright you know a vampire is just gonna you know go into you know topor and, mm-hmm. and come back you know two or three hundred years later and then you got you know um uh you got the um the the Dracula series from you know uh Gatiss and um mm-hmm. uh Stephen Moffat mm-hmm. so yeah like they you know it's something that it, it's perhaps you know a metaphor for an impulse that never really goes away until it's killed outright yeah like um oh Jesus like so many things in our society like um you know the kind of violence visited upon the lower classes by the ruling classes or, you know, that old perennial misogyny. Like, right. how the fuck do you kill that? It's an undead monster. Yeah, there you go. It's There are layers to this, man. <laughs> and to kind of bring it around full circle, it's, um, I think, it's why, like, I was thinking about it as I was watching the movie because, um, you know, as much as I'm like, oh, like, you know, I get why Nicolas Cage is Nicolas Cage. Um, you know, the performance does have you asking questions a lot of the time because it's so out there. Yeah. But it occurs to me that because it is like a really out there comedic performance, it, I, and, you know, it didn't work in the initial release, but for me, it definitely put the movie across because it takes a lot of, um, uh, you know, if you'll pardon the pun, it defangs some of the horror of the story. Yeah. Because it is a horrible story. Like, imagine if Nicolas Cage had played this role completely straight. It would be... You'd be like, this is a literal monster. Yeah, it would be like a horror movie about a man who has a psychotic break that leads him to rape and kill. And it's like, oh, that's fun. But (laughs) with the demented Nicolas Cage performance, it takes it into this... Uh, realm of satire where you're laughing as like horrible things are happening and yeah is this like pathetic oddball character yeah like he's he's basically a shell there is nothing sincere about this man there is no self-reflection like he you know no like you know he's wasting his time with his therapist like he's he's never gonna take a hard look at himself like hey like when you know when he fucking looks in the mirror like he acts like oh like oh no where am i but you know he is looking at himself but he can't look at himself right so that's it you know that's pretty convenient to be a vampire who like doesn't appear in mirrors it's like then you never have to look at yourself 
Yeah, you never have to face your actions. Yeah, and so, like, props to Nicolas Cage because, like, it's a bold choice. I don't know if he would have been able to make it if he hadn't been a Coppola. Like, not hating, just saying. Um, yeah, I mean, we've seen a lot of, like, weird singular performances by people who just, you know, came and went. Yeah, I mean, like, compare, like, the trajectory of Nicolas Cage to, say, like, Steve Railsback. Or Shoe Boogie. <laughs> uh, if you or someone you know knows Shoe Boogie, please get in touch with us. Info at haveyouseen.us. I think we're about 20 years too late for that. Mm, I hope he's out there somewhere listening to his tunes. Yeah, so... If you're looking for, you know, the 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 source of, you know, Nicolas Cage being Nicolas Cage, you know, don't stop at the Wicker Man, don't stop at Mandy, don't stop at Face Off. Go direct to the source. The 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 point, you know, where he is turned from man into vampire, where he becomes Nicolas Cage in Vampire's Kiss. The Ur Nicolas Cage, if you will. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Nicolas Cage Prime. And by the way, uh, this is free on Pluto TV right now. So if you have Roku, very convenient. Um, you can also watch Pluto TV on your browser. So, hey, why not throw on Vampire's Kiss? It's free with ads. Sorry. But very fucking worth seeing. Yeah, you get what you pay for. <laughs> <laughs> not like our show, which is two whole dollars. Mm-hmm.